In 2002, musician John Mayer was on the brink of becoming a celebrity. He had just released his first major album. His now infamous song, Your Body is a Wonderland, was a new radio hit. On the afternoon of Friday, August 2nd of that year, thanks to my mom, I was standing like 10 feet away from him and I was seriously considering walking up to him and saying hi. My mom worked at Kansas City's City Market, the venue where he was performing a sold-out show later that night. That meant that eight-year-old me got to hang out there all day. So while hundreds of other girls were at the fences waiting to get in, I had a front row seat to everything going on before the show. John was alone on stage, tuning his guitar and rehearsing songs. He was right there. My mom told me to go up and talk to him, and I wanted to really badly. I started to take steps towards him, and then I remembered. I remembered that just a couple months earlier, Elizabeth Smart had been kidnapped right out of her house. Then I thought about a couple other kidnappings I had heard about. You see, I was completely terrified about being kidnapped when I was a kid. Combine that with the fact that, in general, I was a major scaredy cat as a kid, and you'll understand why I froze. John finished his sound check and walked off stage. Now, let me be clear as much as I was in awe of him then and now, he's not God. Fear kept me from talking to John Mayer. And the feeling wasn't that different than my fear about talking to the real man in charge. The feeling of missed opportunity that I felt after an in-person, almost run-in with a cute singer-songwriter really is kind of the same feeling I have every time I'm too afraid to talk to God. I'm Kylie Unell, the girl who should have met John Mayer, and this is How to Fix a Soul in 30 Days. week of my challenge to fix my soul is over and prayer has opened up some doors for me. I've even integrated some of the practice into my daily routine. But now I'm ready to try something else and get away from the written word a little bit. I want to actually feel it more and have it feel more like me. Fortunately, we Jews have a plan for that and it goes back around 400 years to the beginnings of the Hasidic movement. It turns out that the Jews of Eastern Europe kind of felt the same way I do. The rabbis at the time started to feel that learning texts and praying scripted words wasn't doing enough for the souls of the Jews. So they came up with an answer to their problem, a form of Judaism that focused on the heart and humanity in addition to books and buildings to uplift the soul alongside the mind. This was Hasidism. Now, of course, there are other elements and practices that played into the evolution of Hasidism, but without the focus on people and the soul, it wouldn't be what it is. So what does this all have to do with Elul? There's a popular Hasidic saying that gets said a lot during the month. The king is in the field. In other words, God is out there among us. We, as his subjects, have the opportunity to go and speak to him like we would a king. So, in the spirit of visiting the king in the field, this week I am going out to a field 
and talking to the ultimate king in a language that I understand. I'm trying out Hitbodedut. Hitbodedut literally translates to self-seclusion. In practice, you're supposed to go out into nature or into a quiet room and speak to God directly. It's entirely unstructured, open prayer. You say whatever comes to your mind about whatever you want. It seems simple enough, even if you can't figure out what to say. The famed Rebbe Nachman of Breslev, who popularized Hitbodedut, has a tip. Just say one word, any word at all, with as much intention as possible. Rather than spending more time reading about the practice, I figured I'd call someone up who's actually done it and loves it. Aliza Klein is the founder and CEO of One Table and somebody who has been a major source of inspiration for me over the years. She grew up in Colorado and spent last summer living alone with her family in an abandoned summer camp, so she certainly knows a thing or two about the outdoors. Here's my chat with Aliza. Hi, Aliza. Hi, Kylie. I'm so excited to have this conversation because you're one of my favorite people to talk to, but also we're talking about something that I don't think we've ever talked about before. But when I thought about Hidbodedut, I associated it with you. So there's obviously something happening in my head where you're there. <laughs> that makes me so incredibly happy, I have to say. Like, let's talk about talking because that's, you know, it's the best kind of prayer possible. Yes. Tell me about your practice of Judaism and how it fits in your life. So this will sound a little absurd potentially, but I think it's kind of how I breathe. Mm. I'm a deeply religious person. When I say that, what I mean is I yearn for a deep connection and relationship to God all the time. (laughs) I forget a lot. And what I love about Jewish practice is the ritual that can serve as the reminder, like the prompt, like you can wake up in the morning, like, oh, thank God I'm alive. There it is. Thank God. Before you go to sleep, I sing myself the Shema. It helps me soothe and it has influenced my work. My whole career has been in inviting others to engage with Judaism in a way that can provide some of that breath and life and sustenance for them. Uh, knowing that they may not necessarily like dig the God stuff as much as I do. I'm really into it. (laughs) And I would say that as a child, I was just given Judaism as a gift. My dad is a second generation rabbi. His journey was very different than his father's. And my mom, um, who's a first generation American, really didn't understand that she was Jewish at all until she was about 12 when her cousin's came back from the Holocaust and moved in with them and what was going on. And then she sought it out and she sought out my dad and she is a dancer and an artist. And my father (laughs) is an intellectual and a rabbi. And together they created this gorgeous, creative, dynamic Jewish home for us. Wow. Where Shabbat equals chocolate milk (sighs) and celebration. But first you run around like a crazy person. You vacuum, got to do the dishes. You got to change your sheets. Like this is what you got to do on Friday. So like cleaning my house was Jewish, right? Preparing for company was Jewish. Before you go to sleep at night, you sing the Shema, that's Jewish. It was just sort of deeply influential in in everything, you know, and I married a guy who's into it too. And it's (laughs) important for our kids and (laughs) it's just sort of everywhere. I relate to that so much 
And it's such a gift. It's something I think that few people can relate to, not enough people can relate to, because what we've essentially been given, and I don't come from a family of rabbis, but God was just so ingrained. Like it was just so present and you get it from wherever. And her philosophy is really that it's all about joy. Like you don't pass something down by forcing it onto somebody and making it all about what you can and can't do, but rather just like, how fun is this? <laughs> like, this is Judaism and we can make it really fun and our lives are better because of it. And it just enhances the entire thing. Yes. And life isn't always fun and it sure feels good to not be alone. Yeah. And I'm thinking about that a lot. The world is really a mess and there are so much hurting and suffering and I feel very, very blessed that I have access to this sense of not being alone. And it is incredibly comforting to me also. So all of that beautiful God part of your life, what is Heat Boat Adut? How do you do it? Where does that fit into your religious practice? I learned Heat Boat Adut from Rabbi Ariel Berger first, who is a master teacher and then reinforced by my experience with the Institute for Jewish Spirituality. And now it's something I do when I go hiking, if I'm alone. So the way I would articulate the practice is nonstop talking out loud. And instead of just talking to yourself, you have this image that maybe you're talking to some form of God. Maybe it's an angel. Maybe it's a ghost. <laughs> maybe it's the leaf that you see shimmering in the tree. Um, but that it is an, it's an invitation to just kind of let it out and begin. And of course, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov teaches it, which is just start, just start talking. Yeah. And if you start with the mundane, um, oh, I, I tore my skirt, damn it, you know, <laughs> and then you start with that, you just notice, oh, I'm noticing this, I'm noticing that, that what ends up happening is that the conversation gets deeper. Mm. Um, and you may be thinking initially about sort of surface or shallow discomforts that you have, or even shallow blessings that you have noticed. You're like, oh, that feels really good. The sun on my back is really nice. And then the more you start just talking, the deeper it gets. And I'm a talker. So I'm very comfortable with this kind of, you just don't even breathe. You just kind of flow. It's a little like journaling. So, you know, if you've ever done a writing exercise where you're supposed to journal and just not lift the pen off the paper for a certain amount of time, this is the same thing, except that it's verbal. So isn't that easier, right? Yeah, that does isn't sound that a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, that does. What was it like the first time that you ever did heat boat do? It was really weird. I was at a conference center outdoors and there were a bunch of us who all started at the same time and then were sent off in different directions. So, you know, your eyes are not, like when you're sitting and doing a meditation, you can close your eyes and it's a little less embarrassing, but yeah. you were walking around and talking out loud. So your eyes are open and sometimes you like see other people. I mean, it's like weird. It's, it's a little bit weird. Yeah. But after like a, literally a minute or two, I just realized I had a lot on my mind. And it was like this invitation to kind of blurt it out. And then it started to, to flow. And what I did find is that the idea is, you know, it, it starts with kind of a low level, whatever is topical. And then I was thinking about either people that I loved and memories about them, like sort of this invitation to kind of think and what it was I learned about them. I think that was one of the prompts actually, maybe even that Rabbi Berger gave us was, you know, to, to be thinking about influences in our lives and what that has meant and how to explore it further and 
what does that mean? And you just starting asking more questions. If you have ever been in sometimes like in a, in a, like in a leadership conversation or other kind of training where you're trying to identify your purpose and you just have a repetitive question, like why, 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 tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. And, and if you can keep that turned at yourself, like, huh, why am I feeling that? What's that about? I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. And there's no judgment because it's just like what's coming out. You know, there's not an expectation that God's going to answer you as you're walking. That would be pretty intense. (laughs) But there is an expectation that as you start talking, it evolves. So you know, we start exactly where we are, but we don't end there. Like physically you're moving to a different place and you may start by thinking about kind of analyzing a particular relationship that you're involved in and stress that it is bringing. And to see if you can, maybe you get to the point, it's almost like, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble from this, from like the chassid teachers, but it's a little like self-therapy, right? Like yeah, you're playing both roles. Yeah. You're both roles. Like you're the one talking and you're the one saying, tell me more about that. You know, Yeah, (laughs) what was happening there for you? And if it's just like a permission to see, and I have found that in most of those times, I will get to something deeper and more profound than I had started with. And sometimes it's tremendous gratitude. Sometimes it's tremendous pain. And then sometimes it's acknowledging either one of those. And then responding, like saying, oh, it's okay that that's what's happening. When do you feel like you like got it? Like you're like this heat boat thing. I get it. (laughs) Um, So I've been, I've done it a few times in the woods and one of the, I get lost a lot because I like to go different places. I like to try new things. It doesn't, and I just, I'm not really bothered by getting lost. I I find, I mean, I'm still here. So I've eventually found my way back. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it just takes longer, you know? God. (laughs) <laughs> I, I go running and I'm like, oh, that's two more miles than I had planned. You know, like that <laughs> happens to me frequently. And I will say that when I was practicing Heat Boda Dude in Simi Valley, in this beautiful place, I never got lost. I kept mm. finding my way back. And I was like, that's amazing. And I, that I think was somehow like, the more I would just sort of walk and talk, I kept finding my way back. And I think that to me was like, I don't know if it was supernatural or supernal or amazing or just coincidence, but um, it was this like, oh, I'm safe. Mm, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally physically safe. I find, I find it a release. The time goes by pretty quickly. I mean, look right now, I can barely breathe between talking. I have so many words to share. <laughs> For me, it comes naturally. Yeah. I mean, Kylie, you're a talker too. I think that But you're more analytical than I am. Like, I think you listen more than talk. I think the thing that I'm worried about, in all honesty, is going out and being like, this unstructured thing sounds great. But then when I actually do it is wanting the structure. Saying, what am I actually, like, what am I supposed to say? Okay, just start with something small. What if that doesn't feel right? Like, what is the right thing to say? And that kind of expectation, I'm a little worried is going to feed into it. That's kind of my tendency. And I think also that, I talk to God a lot, but I think that the way that I I do it, it's tied to when I have a challenge or a struggle or maybe something great also where I'm really grateful for it, Like, but it has to be really a big, great thing. It's not just like the sun is really beautiful. I don't even feel like I feel total gratitude like the way that I do for something huge, but it's tied to a particular moment and going out and just talking without having any like agenda, that's, that's weird. <laughs> that's so, weird. 
What I would say is that whole minute that you just talked, start that way. Mm. So I'm out. I'm setting a timer on my phone. That's a weird way to pray, but that's what I'm going to do. Like it's a, it's a practice. And in this practice, I'm going to take 15 minutes and I'm just starting now. And this is a strange thing to do. I wonder what's going to come of this. How am I going to spend this time? Am I going to be overwhelmed by the lack of structure? And literally just say all those same things. And I'm guessing that you may then unpack what does it feel like to not have this structure? Why do I need that? Like there's guide me. Yeah. And maybe that becomes a question where God, can you guide me? I don't know what to say next. Why don't I know what to say next? I think I have thoughts. Like I think you could just, you know, it's, it's a little, you're, it, it's, it, it means that your stream of consciousness is holy. Yeah. Isn't that a nice gift? Yeah. It's a, it's, it hits on something that full vulnerability I struggle with, which is self-worth. Like it's just going out and being like, I have a place in the world and I've earned it by my mere existence. I don't have to do anything to justify it. My existence is sufficient and I can talk because of that. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. I would say not only can you, but you have to. My presence on this earth is an is in many cases a gift, of, you know, it, it is an expression of the divinity. That is my, my body and my, my spirit and my, and my impression. And so in order to know more and to do that better and to be more connected to the oneness, I have to actually put a voice to it. Yeah. You can do that. You do it all the time. It's me. I have, like, I, I haven't thought about it this way, but I think that Heat Bodo Dude is really it's a practice of cultivating self-trust as much as it is trust in God on a certain level. That's what it feels like based on what it is that I'm learning about it. I haven't done it yet, but trusting that you have something to say almost is self-trust. You know, I am envious that you are where you are at your age. And I I mean, I sound like a grandma when I say this (laughs) and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But I think I was probably 45 of the first time I did this. Whoa. That's different. Yeah. It's different. And I was the youngest in the cohort I mentioned, but <laughs> that gives you a sense. I yeah. think, and and it was amazing to be with people who were even, you know, 20 years my senior and what they were thinking about and taking this time and feeling like, God, I waited a long time till I knew how to do this stuff. So I think that the, you know, some of the insecurity you may be feeling is pretty normal and probably pretty healthy. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> See? That's very, that's very humble. Yeah. Thank God. There we go. That's thank very, God. <laughs> that's very humbling though. Also. I hope so. Cause it's not God talking. It's you talking. Yeah. Did you ever have a heat to do experience where you came away and you were like, that was not it. That did not go well. Sure. I mean, just like I, but it, that's the practicing. Then the timer goes off. You're like, oh, whew. I mean, I've done, I, I sit, I told you I do these three weekly sits, right? And and sometimes I'm like, my eyes open, I'm wondering, I'm like, should I allow myself to just follow my thought or should I go back to the breath? Because, you know, I think it's super duper normal. The piece that I have loved the most out of everything I've studied is that the mindfulness practice is this yeah. forgiveness constantly. Like, it's okay. Like you're inside your head. You're like, oh, Kylie, it's okay. Mm. Oh, sweetheart. You're just going to start again. Just go back to that breath again. And if you can get to the point where you're not berating yourself for not having had a transformative experience, that's where we're going for. Yes. I think that might be one of the goals for the 30 days. (laughs) It just keeps coming up. So we'll see 
we'll see what it's like. I don't know. I don't know what I'm in for, but I feel so much more prepared and capable of doing this thanks to you. Like I have my, I know what my steps are and I know that it might not be perfect, but that it will be something. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Aliza, for your wisdom and sharing of your life. Thanks for asking. I'm going to be totally honest. Talking to Aliza about Heat Boda Doot made me realize that I have no idea what I'm actually in for. In some ways, I question whether I've had real emuna, the Hebrew word for faith, until now. I mean, I'm used to talking to God. However, it's one thing to talk to God when I have a reason. It's another thing to just go out into nature and talk. What if I don't have anything to say? What if the things that I have to say are too boring? How do I know that God is actually listening and cares about what I say? Does God even care about any of these concerns to begin with? I have no idea whether I'll be able to shake my anxiety about what I'll talk to God about. Talking to Eliza felt like getting a warm hug before setting off on a new adventure. She was so reassuring and she helped me feel like whatever my experience is, it's okay. It's not about getting anything out of it. It's just about being present and trusting that God is there listening. I hope. Stay tuned for the next episode where I go into nature and try my hand at heat bodedoot. I'm not sure what I'll feel on the other side, but I'm sure I'll feel something, maybe. Until next time, I'm Kylie Unell, and this is How to Fix a Soul in 30 Days. A Soul in 30 Days is brought to you by Tablet Studios and is hosted by me, Kylie Unell. This episode was produced by Leah Leibovitz and Josh Cross. If you want to learn more about Elisa's organization, One Table, which helps connect millennials with Friday night dinners, go to onetable.org. Special thanks to Rabbis Mordechai Lightstone and David Beshevkin for some essential fact-checking. Please go rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts it really helps other people discover the show. For more information about this or any other of Tablet's podcasts, visit tabletmag.com slash podcasts. I did a French <laughs> like thing, but uh, <laughs> whatever, it's okay, you know? <laughs>